Thursday Finance on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners. And uh, we will be taking a look at currencies and commodities and what's been happening over the last little while, Stephen Pritchard. But before we do that, mm, finances are always important where you've got your money stored. And there's a proposed merger between Hunter United and Beyond Bank. Yeah there's, a proposed, yeah, there's a proposed merger between Hunter United Credit Union and Beyond Bank. Now, you know, I've had a look at this and I, I really don't see what the local members of Hunter United are going to get out of this. And I think they need to be careful that their reserves in the Hunter United Credit Union aren't just going to be paid away to an institution situated outside of the area. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be any examination of alternatives such as um, the demutualisation of Hunter United Credit Union. And as everyone knows, the, the, the members, the former members of NIB have done very well out of the demutualisation of NIB. And I think, you know, the members and the board of Hunter United Credit Union, before it just merges with a, another institution not located in this area, it needs to seriously think about demutualising the institution and handing the reserves back to the members who are the ones who built it up instead of just transferring them on to, to Beyond Bank. When there are reserves there, yes. Oh, there's 20 million reserves. Mm. Oh, you know, it's got 20 million reserves. And that doesn't, in, that doesn't include the you know, intangibles such as the, the brand name and the branch network of, which have been built up over the last 30 or 40 years. And the goodwill. And the goodwill. <laughs> in the meantime, what's happening with commodities? Uh, the commodity market, um, the commodity markets, uh, the gold price was down 1% on the week to uh, uh, $1,670 an ounce. Uh, the copper price was up 1.22% a week to $7,616 per tonne. And the crude oil price was up 2.245% to $71.77 a barrel. So there's kind of no reaction to proposals of the US to sell off part of the strategic uh, stockpile. Their oil reserves. Their oil reserves, mm. yeah. And the US dollar, the US dollar was up 1% on the week, which is good. Um, for people going overseas to 75 cents exactly. And the Great British Pound was up, uh, sorry, the Australian dollar was up against the Great British Pound by 0.855 to uh, 57.82 pence. Would that be affected by the terror attack? That price? Probably not. Probably not. Not at this stage. I don't think anything gets affected by the terror attacks mm -hmm. anymore. They, they, well, they're, they're not predictable, are they? It might be if it was in London, but mm -hmm. not Manchester. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. and lovely city, Manchester. Lovely city. You've been there? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, we're up against the euro to 66.86 euro cents. Um, the equity markets around the world were pretty uh, much well up on this week. Um, 5,811, the old ordinaries was uh, closed yesterday, which is up 0.6% on the week. The S&P 500 was up 1.6% to 2,404. The UK index was up 1.05% to 7,514. And the Hang Seng index was up 1.16% to 25,428. Are we up to petrol? No, we're not up to petrol. Oh, okay. Some local share prices. Okay. Um, BHP uh, was up 1% on the week to $24.20. Uh, CBA was was uh, pretty much steady at $81 for the week. Uh, NIB Health Funds was up 0.725.73, which, which, you know, the, the original people, you, you know, you could buy those at $0.80 cents when they first floated. Um, and Telstra was $4.50, which was up 2%.
on the week. Uh, the petrol prices, which Jane's particularly interested in. Always. Always. And we've got a long weekend coming up in two weeks yeah, or three that. weeks. Yeah. Um, two. So we'll see what happens then. Um, we were down 2.5% uh, on the week to $1.15 a litre. And Sydney was down 4% on the week to $1.13.9 a litre. And the diesel prices in Newcastle was down 1.6% to $1.17 a litre, and in Sydney was steady at $1.20 a litre. Mm. So the petrol prices trended down. Mm -hmm. uh, as we said, we've got the long weekend coming up. And are you making a prediction on that, Jane? Uh, no, I leave it to you. And uh, Stephen Pritchard, it's time for our market update with Henry Jennings, who is Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I, I saw you, you on the ABC again this week. Did you? Yes. Well, there you go. I was, yes, I get everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're becoming very famous. Oh, I don't know about very famous. I think it's only you that watches the ABC business, but there you go. <laughs> At least there's one. Ah, well, I knew you were on there. Yeah. Um, so, so, so someone they haven't got quite as many listeners as us, but that's all right. So, no. so, so aristocrat leisure's profit jumped by fifty-seven percent for a half year. So, people must be people are probably at the clubs paying the poker machines and, instead of watching you on late line business. Well, obviously they are. Yeah, it's a good result from uh, from aristocrat this morning. In fact, the whole gaming sector is doing quite well. So, as you rightly say, the uh, the, uh, the profit number was up fifty-seven percent. So that 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 is a good result. Of course, they did buy. Uh, a big U.S. business, and a lot of their growth is coming from the U.S., but still, um, it has been a big success story, and the share price just continues to, to, to go higher. So, um, impressive. Yes, yes. I'm not a big fan, I must admit, only because uh, I think they're obnoxious and... and gambling, yeah, yeah. Well, not, not, not so much, I guess, gambling per se, because the stock market is gambling, but um, it's more, um, I guess, the whole pokey machine thing, which... I find uh, somewhat disturbing, to say the least, but uh, um, a good result nonetheless, and it shows that uh, people do love the pokey Pokies, machines. Yeah. And mm. so over, over at Ariadne, uh, apparently uh, Mr. Weiss and Mr. Seema are demanding board seats to change the management structure, so it's be interesting how long the chief customer office is going to last. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is the story around Ardent Leisure, which, of course, owns the dream world uh, theme park in Queensland, which unfortunately had that tragic event last year and has never really recovered uh, from that in terms of the share price. They have a big business in the US called Main Event, which is a bowling alley business. Um, and they've got some corporate raiders now. Gary Weiss, uh, some listeners will remember from the, uh, the 80s and has been around for an awful long time. And another gentleman by the name of Kevin Seymour, who's a new uh, Queensland property developer agitating for board change the company or agitating for change basically in the company the company has responded by saying that maybe the dream world business they would look at the land parcel around it as some sort of development which would obviously be music to the ears of uh, the newly uh, newly sort of property developer on the uh, on the register so um, so yeah there's, there's a few things happening there they're also doing a strategic review and looking at uh, uh, their main event business in the US looking at appointing directors so we are seeing a lot more shareholder activism, um, I guess, in Australia, which is something we haven't seen for a little while. Right. Yes, that's right. And uh, Noble Group um, saying that it's going to have difficulty funding its uh, its entitlement to shares in the Yang Coal Capital Raising. Yeah, well, Noble Group's under some serious pressure at the moment. 
they're uh, they're one of the big sort of uh, commodity traders. Um, they're um, they just seem to be uh, very much struggling at the moment. Um, Yang Coal is buying a um, uh, the Hunter Valley assets and some of the assets from Rio. Uh, big price they're paying for those, um, and they need the money. Uh, the Yang Coal guys, it's only a small. Uh, company in terms of uh, kind of market cap, but it is backed by the Chinese state uh, government. So, um, but um, Noble Group is the second biggest shareholder, um, and whether it will be able to participate, S&P has been uh, downgrading its credit rating, and the company is looking seriously in trouble. Um, so, yeah, they, um, it's, it's probably not going to be something they will be able to continue or, or do, unfortunately. Oh, well. And then um, Sigma Healthcare. The Sigma Healthcare shares fell after they announced they're taking legal action against Chemist Warehouse. Yeah, it seems that Chemist Warehouse don't want to buy Sigma pharmaceutical products anymore. Um, at least they've been looking and, and buying alternative suppliers, which has set the cat amongst pigeons. Court case to come. Sigma have been an, a, a dreadful performer. Um, the stock has just sort of slumped from uh, from from various woes, but uh, some from a dollar twenty is currently trading at seventy six cents after that news yesterday. Um, Sigma said that uh, basically if um, they didn't uh, sell their stuff to uh, my chemist warehouse, it uh, would be a sort of a five percent hit to uh, to earnings <coughs> so excuse me so um, yeah, Sigma very much uh, under the caution at the moment you, you, you and I both know that if you disappoint in the marketplace it 's not good people don 't like that at the moment so if you, if you do well, people reward it. Um, but if you do badly, your share price can get really badly smashed quite quickly. Yes, we well, might. Yes, just be, before we um, we leave that topic, um, isn't it up to them, anybody, to decide who they buy from, or is there a contract involved? Uh, well, obviously, Sigma have got a contract um, with uh, My Chemist Warehouse, and My Chemist Warehouse seem to be not honouring that contract. So. Um, it's going to be lawyers at ten paces, um, but if the uh, if the guys at my chemist warehouse don't buy from Sigma, then it will have a five percent hit to earnings, which has caused the share price to crash around twenty five thirty percent. So Hamish Douglas from uh, Magellan Financial Group, which is one of the uh, uh, success stories in fund management here in Australia, sure. ha- has come out and said that the Uber is just a Ponzi scheme and it's one of the ver- worst business models in the history of the world. Um, Yes, interesting call, Um, big call, guaranteed to get headlines. Um, You and I have both discussed in the past how if you described Uber as an unlicensed minicab dispatch system, it wouldn't sound as uh, as sexy, I guess, as a ride-sharing app. Um, But effectively, it is an unlicensed minicab dispatch system. Um, Hamish Douglas has said basically that in 10 years' time, Uber will be be bust um, and that um, they will really suffer through driverless cars, as I say, guaranteed to get a headland. His, his, um, you know, he, he suggests that you know the fact that they keep raising money, constantly raising money, um, is uh, and using that money and blowing that money um, in various jurisdictions is is kind of proof that uh, it really is not uh, not a sustainable business model. Um, there's no sort of uh, way for people to get out. Um, there's only new people coming in, and they try and push the valuation up ever higher um, to get some new money into the company and that people invest on the basis that the next valuation will be higher still. But um, 
um, yeah, it's it's an interesting call, and as I say, guaranteed to get your headlines um, in many newspapers uh, around the uh, financial world. Yes, interesting. And the other, the yeah. other thing that's getting headlines still this week is that um, the the large banks are starting to lobby against the imposition of the government levy on their liabilities, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. It is. The, the large banks have, have really tried to enlist their shareholders in this, and they've written to shareholders to tell them um, that basically it's an unfair tax, um, and they don't believe it will raise as much money as the government suggests, and that they're really not very happy about this. The problem that the banks have had is that in the last few days, the uh, S&P Global Ratings Agency has downgraded the credit rating on the smaller banks who were supposedly winners from uh, Scott Morrison's on-the-run new tax levy. So these guys were supposedly the winners, but with the downgrade, it means their cost of funds is going to be higher, and S&P did not downgrade the big four, as they said that there is an implicit guarantee from the government that they would be propped up in the case of another GFC-style event. Now, of course, if, if there is that implicit guarantee, then there is an argument from Scott Morrison and the Treasury that um, that guarantee requires a payment, and therefore the new tax levy is that payment for that explicit guarantee. So it's pretty hard for the banks now to argue that they shouldn't pay the levy, as they're now getting the benefit of the fact that they're not being downgraded. If they, um, yeah. if they want to not pay the levy, they could be downgraded, and as a result, their cost of funding would go up um, similar to the regional banks. So it's a, they've, they've kind of trapped themselves in a bit of a, uh, a sort of a cycle there, I guess, and it's, it's hard to, uh, to get out of that one. Well, it's also a lot cheaper than if you or I went along to the bank and wanted a guarantee. They'd want mm. they'd want us to put a term deposit in there, and they'd want to charge us one percent to guarantee our own money. Exactly. So they're, exactly. they're, so, they're getting a lot cheaper out of that. Yes. Yeah, so it, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting uh, conundrum they've got. Obviously, um, the hit to earnings. Um, possibly could affect dividends, and as a result, we've seen uh, the continued sell-off in the bank sector uh, in both regional and the big banks now as well. And um, just one more thing is, uh, it must be the week for ripping into new business structures, um, Servcorp's ripped into bearded hipster hot desking, saying that WeWork is a glorified hot desk organisation. Beard, I mean, I think it says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've, uh, but they've also got free beer down there, I understand it, WeWork. Oh, work. mate. Oh, well, that, that's it then. You, who would not sign up for that? There was a band once called Free Beer who seemed to get an awful lot of uh, attention as well. So just advertising free beer is usually a good way of uh, guaranteeing an audience or, uh, or, or people sitting at your hot desks. But, well, I don't uh, think there'd be much work done. No, no, not after the first after three beers anyway. That's so, right. Mm. Unlike at Marcus today where I'm sure there's a lot of work done to keep the people up to date. Well, there is, but I'm actually away for three weeks, Stephen, so you'll have to, uh, have to do without me. I'm, I'm heading overseas. But the newsletter's still going to be there. The newsletter still goes on. It, uh, it's a beavering away 24 hours a day, seven days a week almost, um, at marcustoday.com.au, and you can sign up for a free trial. And this time of year, it's good to uh, look at that tax deduction as well. It's possible yep, tax deduction, so uh, um, it's, uh, it's great value. Okay, well, we'll see you back in three weeks, Henry. Thanks. Have a good time. Thanks. And Stephen Pritchard, we're looking at superannuation that is always something that's with us, in fact, and we want to make sure it 
it works well and that we understand it. So our special guest today is Ian Moranti, who's the CEO of Nationwide Super. Yeah, one of, one of the things we find in our, our, our practice is that people come in and they talk about superannuation and they don't really understand what it is. And at the end of the day, superannuation is just a, a, an investment structure that gets concessional tax rates. So I thought we'd get Ian in today to kind of go down a bit deeper and talk about where um, where the superannuation fund money is actually invested because they talk about super, but they don't understand where it's invested. So I thought we'd get Ian. So Ian, where is the superannuation fund money invested? Um, when a superannuation fund receives money on behalf of a member... Each member's account has an, an investment option linked to it, so the fund knows what type of investment that money is to go into. And underneath each of those investment options, there are fund managers who uh, invest the funds on behalf of the uh, trustees in the asset classes that have been allocated to them. Okay, so, so I, I, I go up to the fund and I fill in the application form and, and then send it all in. So how do I actually know where the money's invested? Uh, with the investment option that's uh, tied to a member's account, there is uh, different categories of options t for different asset classes, for instance. And so uh, if you have a cash option, you, the money going into your account will be invested in cash-type investments. Also, so funds provide a lot of information in their annual report and in member guides, and these days on their websites as well, so that you can find out exactly uh, the managers involved in the investment of your contributions and the underlying assets that are involved with those. So do you, do you send out a... Do funds typically send out a... And we're talking about public offer funds here. Do they typically send out a statement saying where your money is invested? Uh, you would receive at least an annual statement each year, and... Most members now who have access to the websites can go on and print out one of those statements or see the information at any time. So they can they can go in and, and print it out. So that's got these, like uh, a lot of these statements I've seen have got pie graphs. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it shares that, you know, so much is invested in cash, so much is invested in share market yes. and property yes. and that type of thing. So, so, so... We go, we go along to the to, to the fund and we get our um, product disclosure statement and you open that and it's all full of bits and pieces. So how, how can I decide um, where I actually want to put my money and, and what happens if I don't decide? Yeah. Uh, if you don't decide, each fund has a default option uh, to use and they allocate the contributions according to that default. If you make a choice yourself, though... Uh, the contributions go into uh, the option that you have chosen. Right, and, and so what's the default option? Uh, the default option is generally a very uh, general one, uh, typically called a balanced or diversified option, has a wide range of assets in it because the fund won't know the age of the person who... Uh, has made the default uh, or has ended up in the default option. So it caters for a wide range of members. Uh, okay, so if you, you, you fill in the PDS or the application form yep. and if you don't know what to, where to invest the money, the fund will just automatically put it in a, a in balanced a, option yes, for you. Yes, typically. Okay. And so why do you, why, why, you know, if we've got this balanced option, which is probably 
you know, from our experiences, generally suitable for most people anyhow. Yes. Why do you have these other options there? And, and what are some of the typical other types of options that are yeah. available? The other options are available for people who might want to match their investment objectives with the investment objectives of the uh, various options or asset classes. For instance, a young person just entering the workforce may be uh, thinking that they have uh, a 40 or 50 year investment uh, time frame that they're looking at. So they might be comfortable with investing in high growth assets, uh, typically uh, shares, either Australian or overseas. Whereas an individual one year away from retirement might be taking a different investment approach and they might not want to uh, face the volatility associated with high growth assets. So they might be looking for something that is more conservative and going to give them peace of mind leading into retirement. So the funds provide a range of options to allow those members who want to make a choice to uh, match their expectations and their needs with the uh, various options that are available. Do you want to just take that? Um, oh, you'd like to... Yeah, we'll take the call. Oh, OK. Look, I just told him that he's just gone, but Stephen okay. did just ring in, another Stephen, and it's a question that Stephen has about NAB and CBA shares and why they're dropping. Well, I mean, the last week or so, the, the share market's been generally dropping, but in particular, the, the big banks are dropping because... Um, concern about exposure to um, the property market, talk that, that you know, the property market, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, prices are going to drop, which will flow on to the effect of bad debts in the, the large banks that have got exposure to those areas. And there's uncertainty about the government's levity on, the, on the, their liabilities, which will may cause their profits and subsequently their dividends to fall as well. So back to Ian. Um, so there's also some unusual investment options kind of um, uh, coming in there. And, and traditionally you had, you know, things like the cash fund, the defensive fund and the balance fund and the high growth. But there's some some funds have now got things like ethical funds. What What's all that about? Yes, the, uh, some investors uh, like to see that the money that they're putting away for their retirement is going to be working uh, for specific purposes. And some people from an ethical point of view, and I suppose that's why it's called an ethical option, uh, don't want to see their funds invested in certain industries that they have a philosophical uh, issue or problem with. And so funds have uh, introduced ethical options which take into account social, environmental and government uh, factors in considering where that money will be invested. So a typical ethical fund wouldn't invest in um, things like gambling, um, weapons manufacturer, animal testing and that type of thing? Correct, yeah. yes. Yeah. We're delving into superannuation at this stage with Ian Moranti. Um, one of the things we find in practice is that, that the people seem to have a lot of um, difficulty in selecting these um, investment options. I mean, it's not unusual for someone to come in and see us um, after they've been in a fund for a while and uh, you'll get out the, the, the 
member statement and um, they've put something in in all of them because they, they don't really understand it and they can't open their mind. So mm. if you've got five options, you'll find 20% in each and, 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 and or whatever. And I say, well, you know, we're doing that. You're better off just putting them all in the balance fund. It's mm. a lot easier than having, you know, 20% in cash and 20% in the conservative. Do you find that's a lot of the case, that people really don't understand what options they're investing in? Unfortunately... I think uh, that is the case, and the figures show that uh, the majority of members are in the default option, which means that they either um, haven't been able to understand the different options, and therefore they, by not making a decision, they know that they're going to end up in the default option anyway, so uh, their money is still going to be invested. But unfortunately, it is something that people should take more uh, interest in and make sure their investments are going to meet their needs when they retire. Yeah, I think it's a lot of case that, 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 that might be a case that we're getting too much choice, do you think, and people really don't understand yes. all these things. So yeah. they take the easy way out, and if something's too hard, you just hope it goes away. Yes. Well, I know some funds have hundreds of options, which I personally think is too much. Uh, if someone is going to be looking for that level of uh, I suppose sophistication, they might be looking at a self-managed fund rather than a public offer fund. Right. And then something that seems to be coming into funds these days is um, one way to, to overcome this inertia of the people investing is and losing your options is these things called lifestyle asset, asset yeah. allocations. And how do, how do they actually work? Yes. Uh, life cycle is uh, one of the names given to that, that option. And... It takes into account that at different ages, a person's uh, investment time frame will be, will be different. And typically, when someone is younger, they have more exposure to high-growth assets. They have time to ride out the market ups and downs. But as they get closer to retirement, their investment approach becomes more conservative. So the life cycle does that automatically for... Uh, members, whereas in a typical situation, a member picks an option, and if they don't change their mind, they stay in that option from beginning to end, which may not be appropriate for them. Right. So what you're saying is that they they pick a life cycle option, and the super fund decides the asset allocation based on their particular age and Correct. circumstances. Yes. Okay, for a lot of people that'll be suitable. And one, I think Jane's team, we've got time for one more question. So I go into your fund and or any other fund and I've selected this option and then I've decided to change my mind. How do I go about changing the option? Can uh, you change the option? Yes, you or? can change the option uh, at any time. Uh, normally it would be in writing or through a secure portion uh, of the uh, the fund's website. And, and is there usually a cost involved? Uh, there, there may be a cost. Some funds will offer a one change a year free, for instance, and then you pay a fee uh, to cover the transaction costs after that. But the fee should be uh, on the PDS and on the fund's website. Okay. And, and so it's relatively easy to do then? Correct. And yes. how long does it usually take? Uh, it will be... You can't make a, a change backwards in time, but going not. forward, uh, it may be next business day or next week, but they will indicate that to you on the form. 
Okay. So that's a good look at super. Thank you very much, Ian Moranti from Nationwide Super. We'll all understand a lot more about it. And that's Thursday Finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. And we will look forward to seeing you again next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.